Morning, everyone. Sex. Always guaranteed a bit of nervous laughter in the context of the church when you say that. I think it's uh, fair to say that the, the, the church at large has sometimes said too much and sometimes uh, said too little about sex. So this morning we hope somewhere in between those two extremes we should be uh, focusing a little bit on the teaching of Jesus. What did Jesus say about attitudes and actions, particularly in terms of sex, and in the passage that we've just read to us that had a kind of tentative, this is the word of the Lord, yes, thanks be to God, we think, um, (laughs) at the end there. Uh, What did Jesus say about sex and uh, relationships, particularly as he spoke into the whole issue of adultery? Jesus seemed to manage the balance of grace and truth in all the things that he did, particularly in his teaching. We talked about the other week about anger and Jesus' balance between grace and truth. And somehow, as we think about the issue of sex and sexuality, it's also trying to get those two things right. The, the, the truth of what the Bible calls us to and what we want to live to as Christians, alongside the grace that we recognize that where we all stuff up and we mess up, that Jesus is full of forgiveness and reconciliation to get us back on the, on, on the right track again. And actually, it's worth us saying that, that there, there but for the grace of God go all of us, in the sense that we all have areas where we fail and we fall. And particularly the issue of sex and sexuality, we are all, because it's part of who we are, we all get some stuff right, we all get a, a, things wrong in the way that our attitude is focused and in the choices that we have made in our lives. And actually, we're all here because Jesus somehow places his hand on us and says, receive my grace, be forgiven, be set free, and live looking forward, knowing that you can be fulfilled in your life. So it's worth, it's worth saying all of that as a sort of a precursor to what I'm going to say. Sexual misdemeanors never seem to be very far from the headlines, do they, in terms of the focus within the media. And although the mechanics of, as Jimmy mentioned helpfully earlier on that the mechanics of sex haven't changed much since it was invented invented by God by the way just uh, so that we get that bit right as well because sometimes we can think about uh, our being as separate compartments you know our church bit God loves and is into our work bit God loves not quite as much as the church bit but he's still present there our sex lives you know the Lord is kind of bowing out from any interest in that area of our life because it's embarrassing quite frankly Lord Um, of course that's not right is it because he's the inventor of sex so he is completely uh, understands how sex works created it to be a blessing for community for individuals and to be within the context of marriage, which we'll come back to later on. But having said that, the mechanics haven't changed. Actually, the environment that we find ourselves in culturally have changed significantly. We live in the most uh, over-sexualized generation yet. In terms of the content that is seen by people, Your children, I'm sorry to uh, scare you with this now, but your children, if they are over the age of 10, will have seen pornographic images already. They may not have told you yet, but they will have done. What we do with that as church is really important, isn't it? How do we go about addressing those issues and deal with them in a way that's both full of grace but also protecting of uh, people and particularly young people? 
we have a whole load of challenges about being in this generation right now when we think about sex. And there's been a, a, a retreat from the community element of sex into the privacy. And of course, sex is a private thing. You know, if I told you too much information this morning about myself and Karen's life, you would um, be embarrassed, and so would Karen. So, um, so, uh, so, of course, there's that element of privacy that's, that's important. But what we've seemed to have lost is that community support in terms of what it means to be thinking about sex and sexuality. That seems to have gone largely. And so sex has been retreated to the bedroom. It's retreated to people's uh, internet habits or their desires or the books that they happen to read. Uh, often there's been a retreat, I think. So we live in a particular, uh, with particular challenges in our modern context when we think about sex and sexuality. You will have seen in the press Fifty Shades of Grey and the other two books... Um, Fifty Shades of More Grey and Fifty Shades of Even Darker than the last book, whatever the other ones are called. But this week, over a million copies of these books have been sold in this last week alone. Fifty Shades of Grey. And it's a a 2011 novel written by E.L. James, um, kind of containing... I've not read it, so I just need to let you know that. Um, so I'm kind of speaking slightly from you know, what you read about these things. But I, I think it is uh, notable for its explicitly erotic scenes and particular featuring elements of sexual practices involving bondage, dominance, sadomasochism. That kind of seems to be the central uh, thinking about the attitude towards sex. And it is selling by the bucket loads. And particularly amongst women. When this talk has been given, you know, I've spoken about this subject loads over the years. And used to be focused in terms of um, sexual content and the focus towards lust. You know, often going back 15 years, you'd be speaking mostly to men and saying, you know, guys, this is, that isn't the case anymore. That isn't the case. There is an even playing field, actually, whereby ladies, you know, in talking about lust, this is something that, you know, women are buying this book in its millions, day in and day out. Some of you here, I'm not going to ask for hands up, some of you will have bought it and have read it and gone, hmm. <laughs> or maybe more than that. Uh, who knows? Or in our culture, again, just the other day, Robert Pattinson talking about his cheating girlfriend saying he lashes out at cheating girlfriend Christian Stewart and remains undecided whether to give her a second chance. These issues are not very far from our TV screens or from the news, issues of sex and sexuality, and we need to have some joined-up thinking on it. Or to quote from Jesus from a sort of a newspaper heading, don't cheat on your wife, not even with your eyes. It's interesting, isn't it, the, the whole issue of anger last week and adultery and lust particularly, Jesus seemed to focus not just on the act, but on the attitude. What's going on in your hearts and minds as you think about your relationship to other people, and particularly as he focused on adultery, in other words, having sex with somebody else's wife or husband, Jesus was pretty clear. He said, as you point at somebody else and you say, you know, you had, a, a, you know, you had sex with somebody that isn't your husband or your wife, Jesus says, actually, there, there are a few thinkers when, pointing back at you when you point one at 
somebody else. And the fingers that point back at you say, yes, but what about your own attitude? What did you look at? What did you think about? Here's a few sex myths. I'm going to lob these out uh, just to begin with because it's worth saying um, them and because um, I get to mention sex loads. So, um, sex myths. Number one, sex is naughty. You know, there is that underlying sense sometimes for Christian that this, Christians that this isn't just this isn't a, a right thing. Sex is not naughty. It's good. God created it. Sex is a right. That's a myth. Sex is not a right. In other words, that everybody must have sexual fulfillment in their life. It's my right as a person. It's not true. It's not a right. In fact, actually, for us as Christians, we would say to people, you know, if you're not married to, to somebody else, live a life of celibacy. It is possible to not have sex with somebody else. It doesn't make you more fulfilled in just to have sex with somebody. It's not a right. Casual sex is the best kind. That is a myth. Actually, when you have sex with somebody outside of marriage, there is that sense of you making a connection with them that isn't, isn't beneficial emotional, physical uh, connection that's made. Casual sex is actually not the best kind. Uh, sexual compatibility. That you have to have sex with lots of people to find out whether you're, who you're compatible with. That is just rubbish. It's nonsense. Um, actually, sexual compatibility, it's not like... I mean, sorry, love, for this, but when, when we... When we I can just, I'll get my apology in first. Um, <laughs> When we had when we had sex uh, when we we got married, cat, it, it was rubbish. <laughs> I know, my son has retreated to the vestry <laughs> with headphones and an iPod. La la la, no, too much information. So um, it was, you know, because actually, as you practice, you get better at it. So when we got married, you know, it was, it was not great. I mean, it was good for me, but that, it was... <laughs> but for, it wasn't for Karen, you know. It was just that thing of actually, who, whoever is... <laughs> who... <laughs> Beware the family behind you. <clears throat> whoever is sexually compatible when they have sex for the first time with somebody, it's rubbish. In fact, in London, we ran a thing called um, um, Romance Academy, which was on TV as a series called No Sex, Please, with Teenagers. And what they discovered in talking to all these young people about, about their attitudes and their experience of sex is that you know, many, almost 90, 95% of the people who'd had sex at a young age, almost all of them said it was not very satisfying. It wasn't very good. And it wasn't very good because actually nobody's sexually compatible. And actually there is God's timing in these things, which is partly why God places sex within marriage. Because actually that's the place. If sex is about love and love is about commitment, then the best place for commitment that we have, unless you can invent a new one, is marriage. Sex is about love. Love is about commitment. And the best place for commitment is in the context of marriage. That's why God places sex within the context of marriage because that's the safest place for it. 
Sex is purely physical. It isn't. It's emotional. It's spiritual. That's why you have a connection with somebody when you have sex with them. In God's eyes, actually, sex and marriage in the Old Testament went together. So when you get and you have sex with somebody, actually, it's that sense of making a physical covenant with them that actually, as you go forward in your life, if you have lots of physical covenants made with other people, actually, as we pray for folks, Karen and I, we have to cut people off from that as they prepare for all that God is going to do in them and for them as they go forward. You make a covenant with somebody when you have sex with them. Sex drive is uncontrollable. That's another myth. It isn't uncontrollable. It may feel like it is, but there will be issues underneath the issues that need dealing with in order for us to recognize that our sex drive is under our control and that we can both be um, comfortable in who we are as people completely open and upfront, but still um, in, in that sense of protected and uh, safe in the way that we respond to others. Men need sex more than women. Again, it's a myth. It's not true. Some of you in your, in your marriages, you know, the, the, the woman will be wanting more sexual contact than the man, depending on stage of life and age. It's not true that it's just about a man thing or that a man's, you know, I was told when I was at school by my friends, unless you have sex, um, all your privates will explode. Because <laughs> everything builds up. And then you'll be, you know, in your 30s or whatever, and suddenly one day, things just go... <laughs> And there would be mess everywhere. <laughs> you know, and I thought, and I believed it. Until somebody said to me, you know, years later, when I was talking to somebody honestly about this stuff, I said, you know, it's not true. <laughs> oh, oh, thank goodness for that. I was waiting for this explosion one day. The longer you're married, the more boring sex becomes. It's a myth. It's not true. Again, I don't want to go into too many details, but... But it's not true. As you practice something, you get better at it. And actually, although you know, the, the way that our desires change and develop as we get older, of course, you, know, you may not be, if you've been married for 25, 30 years, you may not be having sex every day, five minutes, every, you know, everybody's different in terms of their, uh, you know, how they operate and work that out. But sex can become better in your marriage, even if you've been married for 50 years. And then the last one is a myth. Your sexuality is predetermined. I was born this, or I was born that. It's not true, actually. When the Bible describes sexuality, and particularly homosexuality, it doesn't describe people as, it doesn't form their identity. It says there are homosexual acts, or there are heterosexual acts. Your sexuality isn't predetermined. I was born this way. I don't think that's true. Scientifically, it's not proven. I think people make choices alongside the stuff that happens in our lives that forms who we are but I don't think sexuality is necessarily predetermined so just lobbing those out some of those I'm sure you want to come back to and you'll discuss and you'll have conversations about with your friends over coffee and that's great lust Jesus said you have heard it said but I tell you I love this about Jesus in this teaching that he doesn't say you know you've heard it said adultery and of course adultery was a was an offence by which people were stoned. And yet Jesus, in John 8, when he met the woman who was caught in adultery, you know, and she stood before him, and all the leaders brought her to be stoned because she'd committed adultery, uh, Jesus simply wrote something in the ground and then said, if any of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And they all had to go away because everybody recognised that they were messed up in one way or another. I love that about Jesus. He includes everybody. 
You've heard it said, but I tell you. Jesus raises the bar on holy lifestyle. He says, what are, you look, what are you looking at? What are you thinking about? What is your attitude? Not just adultery in the physical, but your attitude towards sex and sexuality. Jesus is concerned for our thoughts, hearts, and our imaginations. And our imaginations. What do you imagine? Where do your thoughts take you when you're watching TV or reading a, the, a book or, or, or watching... You know, you're on the internet. Where does your imagination take you? Jesus is as passionate about that as he is about what we would describe as the physical act of, you know, sleeping with somebody else. Attitude as well as adultery. And in that, there's a warning for us all, isn't there? In this passage, Jesus doesn't forbid the looking, but he does forbid the lusting. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. He doesn't say anybody who looks because some of that is just kind of good eyesight, isn't it? You know, looking is all right, but there is a line at which we cross when we go from looking to lusting. And for men, actually, that will be different in the way that we process that. And for women, I think it'll be different in the, in the imagination, the thoughts about, you know, what a man might be like or what he might, you know how he might uh, respond to you. We get caught up in our imagination and it's just worth us keeping a check on our imaginations. What are we uh, about in terms of looking at other people and lusting particularly? I recognise in myself that there is a point at which I must look away. And I think particularly in the summertime, you know, you're walking, driving up Park Street, loads of people wearing not very much there is a point at which I must look away. And I can't give you an A to Z on how that works for me because you'll be different. But I just know there is a point at which I must stop looking and look somewhere else. Because otherwise I'm thinking lustfully. And when I start to do that, Jesus says, you know, you're in dangerous waters already. So avoiding lust. Jesus says if your right eye causes you to sin or your right hand causes you to sin gouge it out chop it off now listen we must avoid crude literalism on this passage it's worth saying that and you will be entirely relieved about that Jesus wasn't saying although Oregon who was an early church father he actually read this passage and castrated himself as a result and then in the council of Nicaea which is about 325 AD they outlawed that obviously a little bit late for Origin, but um um, and I wish he'd known about that uh, a bit earlier on. But um, Jesus is not saying, hey, look, guys, this is, the, this is the option. Gouge, chop, everything will be fine. He's actually saying, um, as, we, as we think about uh, our attitude, that we mustn't flirt with sin, but we must deal with it. We must deal with it. We need to be prayerful, honest, accountable, I don't know what, where I would be actually in my Christian life if I hadn't been, if I hadn't had friends alongside me to whom I could be accountable from time to time. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with that? How's this going, Sai? How's your um, surfing the internet working out for you? How's your attitude, what you look at? How's your, you know, how's that all going for you, Sai, at the moment? Honest, honest, bare-faced questions that challenge 
Don't flirt with sin. Deal with it. And in that, Jesus said, your eyes, be careful what you look at. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you look on the internet. Be careful what films you watch. Be careful what you focus on with your eyes. Jesus said, with your hands, be careful what we touch. If your hand causes you to sin, we've got to be careful on the physical contact that we have with other people, actually. When we pray for people here in church, we're trying to be really careful about asking the question, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? Um, we've got to be so careful with how we touch people because actually in those moments there can be misunderstanding. So where we place our hands. I was always struck by what Steve Chalk said about this to, to, to courting couples. Steve said this thing. He said, look, when you think about, you know, because people always ask the question, how far do we go? How, that was always a question that we asked and people asked in the youth group, you know. How far can we go? Which basically means, what can I get away with and still be okay with the Lord. Am I allowed to touch that? Am I allowed to fiddle there? Am I allowed to, you know, what, what am I, can I take that off? Can I put that on? Can I, what, what can I do? What can I get away with? And actually, it's kind of the wrong way around. It's not what can I get away with. It's how, how close to Jesus can I keep? That's the question. How close to Jesus can I keep? We need to be careful what we touch. And Steve Chalk used to say this thing, if you haven't got it, don't touch it. In relationships. Now, that's a kind of a, it's a firm, it's a, it's a it's stark, isn't it? If you, haven't, if you haven't got it, if you haven't got one, don't touch it. And uh, I, I think that's kind of pretty wise, actually. Just in terms of being careful how we touch. And then Jesus in Matthew 18 talked about our feet, you know, where we walk to, where we go, uh, where we step. And that's also important. I was struck about six months ago when Murray talked about his working life and about being away on a on business trip when um, the, the guys on the business trip said, let's, let's, let's go off to the strip club now. And Murray said, that, you know, he kind of just said, no, let's not do that. I, I'm not going to come with you. And uh, the, some of the other guys who said, no, that's, you know, that's right, actually, let's, let's not do that. And they went off for a meal instead and had a, a great time, you know, from, from my recollection of your, of your story, Murray. And I thought, you know, there's, we've got to be careful where we where we walk where do we go and therefore being careful and honest in our own responses to people actually we may find that people other people will will respect the stand that we take for its um, strength and also its provision of security so is there any way back the answer of course is yes uh, David said in Psalm 51, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And that was a psalm that was written on the back of David messing up with Bathsheba, you know, making sure her husband was taken out of the picture, you know, figuring out scheming ways that he could get into bed with Bathsheba. And on the back of it, people were hurt, somebody died, uh, a whole range of things that took place that wrecked David's life for, for a bit. And Psalm 51 is, a, is, the, is the description of him coming back to God and saying, have mercy on me, Lord. I've messed up in so many ways. According to your unfailing love and your compassion, blot out all the stuff that's gone wrong in my life. Blot it out. It's like David coming back and saying, I've messed up, but I want to get it right again, Lord. And when we come back like that, God's attitude is never, or oh, I told you so. 
um, he says, come on in. Let's get this sorted out. Let's get you healed up. Let's get you free again so that you can live fulfilled lives. So I would say, repent, turn back. I would say, uh, receive God's forgiveness as he pours it into your life. I would say, learn to resist by being with other people in a triplet, people that you can be accountable to. Relate to others. Make sure that you're with other people as often as you can. Recommit your life to Christ. Get refilled with the Holy Spirit as you move forward. And then we'll be kind of on track, living honest, open, fulfilled lives where we recognize that we are all sexual beings. Recognize that we get some stuff right and we've got some things wrong. Recognize that we will have done wrong to others and they will have done wrong to us. But ultimately that God is a God of grace and compassion who longs, us, longs for us to be more fulfilled than we currently are. Live by the Spirit, Paul said, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Let's um, stop.